0: What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for wrapping up your week with us. This is your Friday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You guys can find me over on Twitter at Joe Orico99 and also at Ethos Fantasy BB. That's where we post all of our new podcasts, articles, news, and notes. Every bit of baseball content we do share it out over there. That's E T H O S Fantasy BB. If you're not somebody who uses social media. Go over to SportsEthos.com. You guys get all of that same great work over there. If you missed yesterday's show, we started our position-by-position reviews. It's something I did last year. You guys liked it. I really liked it as a part of my process to kind of wind down the season. And then also, you know, we'll look ahead uh, to the next season as well a little bit later on, and we'll talk about these players again. But we're just kind of initially going through position-by-position and trying to see uh, what happened to the top players at each position so we're starting with catcher we went one through ten yesterday we are going to continue today starting at number 11 and let's get right into it no need for any preambles let's get right into the content mr key bear ruiz his name is usually pronounced wrong but it is key bear like a key like a door key and then bear like teddy bear Uh, i know it looks like keybert kybert um, but you don't pronounce that t at the end i hear a lot of people get it wrong uh, but that is, I've, I've seen it in interviews with beat reporters and people from around the Nationals. That's how it's actually pronounced. And I'm somebody who's been known to butcher names religiously on this show. If you guys have been listening for a while, I'm really bad at that. But his is one I actually usually get right. He had a pretty damn good season. 55 runs scored, 18 homers, 67 RBI. Batted 260, and he also added in a stolen base. He was somebody that I personally added on a couple of teams, but most notably in my home league I was going with Tyler Stevenson for a good chunk of the year and then there came a point where I, I didn't want to deal with with Stevenson anymore. He just wasn't producing. He was one of the few Reds who wasn't producing. And Ruiz really was. Uh there was a certain point of the season where Ruiz, specifically once you hit like July and August, where he was really good. And in fact, in the second half as a whole, he batted three hundred, three hundred 300 right on the money, nine home runs, thirty-one runs scored and thirty-six RBI in the second half of the season, which was sixty-three games. Really good production, exactly what you were kind of hoping for. Uh, If you are a Nationals fan, he just got a little bit better than what we saw the year prior, actually quite a bit better, really. Uh, He was able to cut that strikeout rate another point and a half, which you don't think is really, okay, one and a half points can kind of go up year or, you know, up or down year after year. It's not really a huge thing. But he's always been a low K percentage guy. He's only at 11.5 last year. He lowers that down to 10.3%. That's really, really good. He gets on base at a pretty good clip uh, considering, you know, eh, I don't know, the bat-to-ball skills are pretty good, but the fact that he actually has a really good eye uh, is able to get him on base a little bit more often than maybe he should. He's on a team that is, you know, up and coming. I think the Nationals are just going to get better and better. Talked um, on the podcast yesterday, not on this podcast. I was a guest on the Dynasty Sports Life podcast, which is a part of uh, In This League with uh, Jesse Severe. We were talking about Lane Thomas, and we also we didn't really expand on it a little bit, but in my talk about Lane Thomas, I, I did mention that this Nationals team is just adding to their core. They're just going to keep getting better and better, and Ruiz is going to be a part of that core. Just turned 25 years old a couple months ago. He was a big piece in that trade uh, for Max Scherzer. It was him and Josiah Gray coming back for Scherzer a couple of years ago, and he's turning into what they were hoping he would be, 136 games this season, 117 of them behind the dish, pretty solid durability there. I don't see any problem with drafting him again next year. I don't expect him to be somebody that is terribly expensive this year. His ADP was 218. I'll be totally fine to take a chance on him somewhere. You know, if you are waiting on catcher, which we, I've talked about it on the show yesterday. And I also put a thread out on Twitter today, talking about my thoughts on the catcher position as a whole. If you're going to wait a little bit and you're going to take a catcher, you know, post pick 200, 250 Ruiz is Probably not going to be somebody that gets a hell of a lot of helium heading into the season. I don't know if people are going to be really that into him, maybe to some degree, but he'll fly under the radar and he should be able to give you pretty decent production. Somebody that you'll be comfortable starting in your lineup week in and week out that you don't really have too much of a concern about uh, facing whatever handedness pitcher, whatever ballparks kind of thing. You're just going to be starting him and not really worrying about it. And I think considering where he's going to go, uh, he'll be a pretty decent bargain on a team that looks like it's just going to keep getting a little bit better and better every year. So he is the number 11 catcher for the season. Number 12, this one was a big disappointment for a lot of people. It's Dalton Varshow. Dalton Varshow was the number 12 catcher, depending on where you look. Some rating systems had him as high as 10th. Some are lower, a little bit lower, but I'm looking at Yahoo, and they have him as the number 12 catcher. 65 runs, 20 homers, 61 RBI, 16 stolen bases, and a 220 batting average. Considering he was catcher eligible and doesn't didn't actually suit up at all behind the plate this year, it was a pretty all right season, if not for the fact that you had to take him relatively high in drafts. His Yahoo ADP was 66.1. If you're playing in two catcher leagues, I saw him going as high as the third round in some cases. He didn't return well on the investment, considering what you had to pay for him. At the end of the day, though, 20 homers and 16 stolen bases is not bad. In a lineup that is you know, probably going to be a lot better next season. I can expect those counting stats to go up, and he's going to play a lot. He's been a guy who's played a lot the last couple seasons, 151 and 158. His defense is incredible. He's one of the better defensive outfielders in all of baseball. You could make an argument that he is the best. I I don't know. I'm not somebody who uh, pays that much of attention to defense, but you could make an argument that he is the best defensive outfielder in the game. He's going to be out there a lot. So he's going to rack up the volume. He's going to hit probably 20 home runs again. I think tw- roughly 20 steals, 15 to 20 steals is what you can expect, you know, somewhere in that neighborhood. The batting average is what's going to hold you back, and it's what held you back this year as well. But I don't think that's going to really pre- preclude me from drafting him. I did take him in an early draft uh, that I did. I've talked about a couple times here, that on-the-wire listener league draft. I took him in round 15. It's a 15-team uh, draft, so I took him around, picked 230, At that point, you know, it's about 200 picks later than last year. He's still somebody who's going to give me like 20 and 15, like I said. And I think in that lineup, we can probably expect bigger and better things from Varsho next year. His spot in the lineup is going to be kind of interesting to see where he is batting. Because there were times when he was 8th, ninth hole. There were times when he was up closer to the top earlier in the year. I'm not really sure where he's going to suit in. Like, I feel like he's probably somebody who should be batting fifth or sixth. If that's where he ends up being next year, then you're probably going to look at like 80 runs and 80 RBIs. That would be what I would expect, a bit of a bounce back from him and the Jays as a whole. You should be getting better production from him. But regardless, this season was a bad bust. It was a really tough year to be rostering Dalton Varsho, and in a lot of cases... I mean, you weren't dropping him, but there was a lot of talk about people who were in more shallow leagues, 10-team leagues, 8-team leagues. Should I drop him? Should I drop him? The answer was still no, because you're getting a catcher who is, like I said, not actually a catcher for fantasy purposes. So there is a lot of value just based on the volume there. 581 plate appearances from your catcher. It's a lot. But the fact that we even have to have that kind of conversation of, well, should I keep him? Is he worth it? Like, that's not where you should be with a guy um, who you drafted, in a lot of cases, in, like, round three or round four. So it's definitely a bust year. But I think we could be looking at a nice rebound for Varsho heading into next season. Next up, we have somebody that I was honestly a pretty big fan of and I had in a couple of leagues this year. It was Elias Diaz. He ended the year not terribly strong but it was still a 267 batting average 48 runs 14 homers 72 rbis and a stolen base i drafted him on a in a second half draft there was an nfbc gladiator league if you guys aren't familiar it was a the, the gladiator format is really cool and i recommend trying it out you only draft your starting lineup you have no bench the players you draft are on your team for the year if guys get hurt guys get hurt nothing you can do about it this was a second half only gladiator and Diaz, admittedly, was not as strong uh, in the second half. A lot of his damage did come in the first half. That being said, over the course of the whole season, it was still a really strong performance. And somebody that I think, looking forward, you can say, okay, he is, uh, let's see, he has another year on his contract, so he'll be a free agent in 2025. So at least for next season, you're going to have a guy, and this is all we're really worried about here. I don't really dive too much into the deeper, uh, the keeper slash dynasty formats. Just talking for next year for redraft, he's somebody that is, again, going to be in course Field who should be able to kind of replicate what he did this year. Kind of a high end in terms of uh, plate appearances, maybe 141 games. Kind of a high number for him. He'd been, over the last three full seasons, at 101, 106, and 105, so maybe we re- regress that a little bit but I still think we're looking at somebody who's roughly a 15 homer guy who's going to give you maybe 50 runs. And yeah, I think that RBI total is somewhere reasonable, you know, maybe not 72, but like 60 to 70 kind of range, pretty solid batting average, especially we saw this year, 267 for a catcher. I talked about that a lot yesterday as well. If a guy, if a catcher's batting 260 for you it's essentially like somebody else batting you know 280 or so because of the scarcity of batting average that you get from catchers across baseball so the 267 over the course of the season 14 dingers, 72 ribbies you'll take that he's not somebody that you had to invest a terribly high draft pick in um where is his adp 226 was his adp not somebody that you really had to spend on somebody that you probably got in the last couple rounds if you're talking a 12 team draft 10 team draft last Round or two, round or three, he's not somebody that I'm going to be pushing up because that's, like I said yesterday and like I've talked about on Twitter, I'm not going to be pushing up any catchers. But if you're going to wait back, you could do worse than getting a guy who plays half of his games in Coors Field and is just coming off of a year where he did play a lot. I would caution people because he's going to be 33, and he did play a lot more than he's ever played in the past, so maybe don't expect 140 games again. But I think you can get some pretty decent value from Elias Diaz if you wait on catching And if you did this year, uh, you did pretty well because he had a very solid return for you. Number 14 is Mitch Garver, the second Rangers catcher we are going to talk about. Mitch Garver did this over a really small sample size. He had 298 at-bats, 296 at-bats, excuse me, 296. I was trying to remember off the top of my head. Uh, but that is a really small number of at-bats to return this kind of value and be as the, you know the 14th catcher He's not going to you know turn too many people's heads you know the number 14 catcher but to have done that in 87 games is really really impressive 19 home runs 50 RBIs 45 runs scored and a 270 batting average that i think was kind of the big surprise for Garber was getting the batting average up to 270 He's kind of been hit or miss in his career, 252 for the career, but we've seen 268, 273. We've also seen 256. We saw in 2022, albeit over just 54 games, a 207 batting average. So without really knowing what you're getting, uh, to get a 270 batting average is pretty damn good. He was out for a good chunk of the year, and yet still being in that lineup was able to give you really, really good value. Now, he is a free agent. He is going to be a free agent this year, I believe, uh, so I'm not sure what his situation is going to be like for next year. But as of, you know, looking back on this year, Mitch Garver was somebody that you could have just picked up off the waiver wire. Not somebody that was going to be on a lot of rosters, and people probably weren't waiting on him, holding him on their IL. You probably just picked him up, and if you got him, you got you know 270 average, a 370 OBP, which is huge. 12.8 percent walk rate to go along with only a 23 percent K rate. Regardless of your format, he was great. He had a 138 WRC+, 38% better than league average hitter. There's nothing you can really say about Mitch Garver. Now, I wouldn't be pushing him up too much for next season. He's not somebody that I'm going to look at and say, maybe he can do this again kind of thing. Maybe he can, but Mitch is not somebody that you're ever drafting just because of the games played history and the injuries. Looking back to when he came up in 2017, he played 23 games. 2018 it was 103 games that was the most games he ever played 103 in the subsequent years 93 23 68 54 and 87 now that 23 was in the COVID year but these last three years 68 54 and 87 mitch garver as nice of a season as he had and it was great for the managers who who had him you're not going to be looking at that as something that is probably going to be happening again next season and even if it does it's not going to be something that i'm going to be paying up for if he happens to fall pretty far in drafts, then sure, I'll take him. If he's on the waiver wire, then maybe I'll pick him up if I'm going that route of, you know, waiting on catch or not taking a Rutschman or a Smith or somebody of that ilk. Then maybe I'll take a chance on him. But because of the, you know, the real instability you have with the games played, he's not somebody that I could really be that interested in drafting. I like him. I do like Mitch Garver, but we don't know where he's going to be. A lot of that production did come from the counting stats. Being on a really good team. What if he just goes to a bad team and we don't have that, you know, that, that production? He had 95 runs in RBIs in 87 games. To average more than a run plus an RBI per game, you don't find it that often. You, you really don't. Mitch Garver, for his career, he's been kind of roughly in that range, but usually on pretty strong offenses. He played for Minnesota when they were really strong, 2019, 2018, when they had really – 2019, they set the home run record. These Texas teams these last couple of years, especially this year – you know, pretty solid offensively. So where he goes will dictate what happens or what I think of him, really, for next year. But he's not somebody that you can put a lot of faith in, at least not specifically in one-catcher leagues. In two-catcher leagues, if he's your second catcher, then I can get behind that a lot more easily. You know, Even if he doesn't pan out, okay, you have an already more stable first catcher then you can kind of you know, figure out somebody off the waiver wire or something. But if he's your one catcher, eh, I don't know. Unless you're going the streaming route all year, he's not somebody that I'm going to be terribly, terribly interested in. MJ Melendez is up next. Another really, really disappointing season. MJ Melendez was getting drafted very high, 137 on Yahoo. He did push top 180p uh, on the NFBC a lot of the time. Again, two catcher formats. It's going to be a different story. People are going to push up catchers. Uh, But regardless of where you drafted him, he did not pan out. Another thing we've got to keep in mind is that a lot of formats, he's not going to have catcher eligibility next year. It depends on where you're playing. He played 10 times at catcher. So NFBC, MJ Melendez will be outfield only. If you're playing Yahoo and ESPN in those leagues, I believe he does meet the criteria. Haven't played there. He will have outfield and catcher eligibility, which you know there is still value in that, but his actual production was terrible. He batted 235 despite having a 311 Babbitt. It's not good. He batted 217 last year, and that was with a 258 BABIP. So you could figure, okay, even if he gets slightly closer to league average BABIP, which he did this year, you're probably looking at, you know, a a decent little jump in batting average. To only get to 235 is not ideal. I never thought he'd be somebody who had a high batting average, but 235 is really not that impressive. It's okay, right? For catchers, that's pretty much, you know, average par for the course, but I was kind of hoping for a little bit more. 16 home runs in 148 games. Last year, he had 18 home runs in 20 fewer games. You know, it was really just a disappointing year. He played, you know, I was 19 more games. He had about 50, 60 more played appearances, or excuse me, 70 more played appearances. Uh, and, you know, the batting average was the only thing that really moved that much, and it wasn't even that much. Everything else, the counting stats, they're about the same. Despite the game's played increase, he had four more stolen bases, which I guess is nice, but... Another guy who really disappointed us, another guy that we pushed up because of that you know, catcher, but who he's not actually a catcher. You know, he, he catches here and there maybe, uh, but, you know, the same kind of vein as show. We pushed him up too much just because of that second position and because, you know, he's going to be playing more often than your average catcher, and he was. 148 games, 600 plate appearances. Most catchers aren't getting 550, 600 plate appearances and playing 140-plus games. So from a volume standpoint, yeah, but from a price standpoint... It was really not worth it to push up MJ Melendez the way that we did. I was guilty of it, too. I thought he'd have a pretty decent season, um, but it was very average. It was a really average season. You could argue that he took a step back. The strikeout rate went up 4%. The walk rate went down. He was really just not that impressive. Either side of the ball, not somebody that I think really looked that good this year and not somebody that I'm going to be terribly interested uh, in drafting next year. Francisco Alvarez is next. He gets here in 382 at-bats. Francisco Alvarez really showed us that he can have some of the best power we've seen from a catcher in a long time. As a rookie catcher, hitting 25 home runs is excellent. Now, the problem with him is he went really cold. He went, like, dramatically cold to the point where you probably couldn't really play him in a lot of leagues. In a lot of two-catcher leagues, like I've mentioned, NFBC kind of formats, He didn't really have much of a choice because there's just not really that many catchers. But in the second half, he batted 174 with eight home runs. If you were playing in a one-catcher league, you would have been right to drop him. His first half, he batted 240 with 17 homers. You know, that is really solid. Even being on a team in a lineup that was underperforming, he was a bright spot. He really was a bright spot. Now, how lofty are the expectations going to be for next year? I'm really not sure. I don't know how much more we can expect now if he doesn't hit that rut again like he did in the second half this year. And if he maintain that first half pace, you're looking at 35 home runs, roughly 35 home runs, probably 75 RBIs and 60 odd runs to go along with, you know, his couple steals. And if he doesn't you know, hit that rut, the batting average probably remains in the 230, 240 kind of range. So is that what we can expect from him going forward? Probably, yeah. I think he's going to be somewhere in the range of like a 240 to 250 hitter. I think this Mets team is not going to be so bad for so long. I know there's talk about maybe uh, Pete Alonzo gets traded and all the all these crazy notions. I don't think they're going to happen. I think the team is just going to keep adding, and they will keep getting better and better. I, I don't have any doubt in that, and I think Alvarez is going to be a huge part of it. You've got to remember, he's not even 22 years old. He was born in 2001 there is still a long way to go for him. The fact that he had 25 home runs in his debut outing as a big leaguer, that's very impressive to me. Already walking at an 8% clip in the majors, he was always a pretty high walk rate guy in the minor league, so it's not a huge surprise that he has a decent walk rate. The strikeout rate has remained about the same. He was always about 25, 26% strikeout rate. That's what he's doing at the big league level. So he's not, I mean, despite the fact that he did have kind of a a bad second half, not even kind of, it was a bad second half, it was still a very impressive debut season from Alvarez and I think going forward there's no reason not to be pretty high on him somebody that I'm going to be uh, pretty interested in heading into next year specifically in those two catcher leagues. I think there's a lot of value in a guy like Alvarez especially pairing him with somebody else cuz in a one catcher league he's probably like on the borderline you know especially you're talking a 10 team one catcher league he's you know he's probably there. He's probably like 10th, he's probably 8 to 10 kind of range. In those two catcher leagues, I'm going to be really interested in getting him uh, as my C2. I think that would be a really nice spot for Francisco Alvarez. On to number 17 now, and that is Jan Gomes. Jan Gomes just seems to stick around. 36 years old, still put together a pretty decent year. First half and second half. We're both pretty productive. Uh, The power kind of fell off in the second half for sure, but he still batted 271, gave you 34 RBIs in the second half of the season. The first half was really, really good. 262 batting average, eight home runs. And for the course of the whole season, I mean, I was pretty impressed. 10 homers, 63 ribbies. He batted 267 with a stolen base, only 44 runs scored, but really, really solid. Uh, I was very happy with what Jan Gomes gave me in a couple of leagues. Again, I had him in two catcher leagues, uh, and and I, w- I was pretty happy there. Now, he has a club option. I think it's for $6.5 million. I'm not really sure what the Cubs are going to do, what their offseason is going to look like, if they're going to pick that up or not. I think he's still going to be fine as long as he is around. He's not somebody that I would be interested in in one-catcher leagues. He's more of a two-catcher league guy, but he's he's shown it for a long time now that he can be a kind of stable C2 for fantasy purposes, probably give you double-digit homers, probably combine for about 100 runs in RBIs. Give you pretty decent batting average, like I've talked about. Uh, batting average from behind the plate, not that good. Usually, it's terrible. He's a 250 career hitter, coming off of a 267 season. So you're probably looking at you know roughly in that 250-260 range, which you'll take. You'll take what he's going to give you in terms of the at bats, plate appearances, which is probably you know plate appearance wise, you're looking at 350 probably in that range, 350 to 400. Again, not somebody if you're playing in a one catcher league that I'm going to be terribly interested in. But once you get into that two catcher range, uh, I can definitely see myself having more interest in Jan Gomes wherever he is, as long as we know he is going to be playing at least you know part of the half of the time, sixty percent of the time, because that's all you really are getting from Jan Gomes most years, and that's all you've really needed uh, to have like a C two for fantasy purposes. The number seventeen catcher is totally fine, considering he's not somebody that you were probably even drafting heading into the season, uh, if you're looking. Just at Yahoo, he did not have an ADP. He was not somebody, unless I'm missing him here, uh, he was not somebody that was getting drafted in Yahoo League. So you'll take what you got out of him. Uh, He ended up only on 10% of rosters, which, I mean, yeah, a lot of Yahoo Leagues, probably 12th team. So there was time, especially in the first part of the season, where he was a pretty hot commodity. Down the stretch, you might have dropped him, and I understand that. Not really a shallow league guy. Uh, Definitely somebody that we have to look at more for our NFBC kind of formats. Let's talk about Ryan Jeffers. Ryan Jeffers was really impressive. And he's not somebody that I was really expecting this kind of production out of. Maybe to some extent we were thinking he'd be pretty good, but I never expected him to bat 276. Didn't really expect him to hit this many home runs. I mean, you could have, you could have seen it coming. From 2021, 14 homers in 85 games. He had 14 homers in 96 games. He stole three bases, 46 runs, 43 RBIs. Really, really strong season uh, from the Minnesota backstop. He's going to have catcher eligibility. Of course, he will carry that into next year, 82 times behind the dish. I realized I did that a lot more yesterday. I was talking about specific splits between um, times behind the dish versus a DH versus first base or whatever. I did it a lot more in yesterday's show. But Jeffers, uh, 82 times behind the dish, nine times as a designated hitter. You got to figure he'll probably be able to up the plate appearance total. As long as he's healthy, you should see him – uh, you know, take the reins as their as their catcher of the future over there in Minnesota. He's 26. He's going to be 26 next year as well, uh, at least until about midway through the season. You should be able to get if you get 100 110 games out of him. You're probably looking at close to 20 homers, couple of steals. I don't expect the runs and RBIs to be terribly lofty because I don't think the team is great around him. But they should be okay. You know, they should be probably in like the 50 to 60 range each in terms of runs and RBIs. I would caution on the batting average though, because if you're looking at 2021, 2022, and then 2023, you're looking at a 199, 208, and then a three or excuse me, and then a 276 average. So he did jump up about 80 points in batting average, 70, 80 points. Is that something that you're going to be able to expect uh, to maintain? I'm not really sure. He did have a 359 Babbitt, which is really high in those two previous years, 269 and 259. That's probably closer to realistic for a catcher who doesn't have the greatest speed. You're not going to be looking at somebody who is going to have, you know, who's going to be running high babbits. You're probably about correct here to expect a 280 BABIP at best, 290 maybe, 360 is just not going to happen. So you have to regress that batting average. I'm not sure how strong the team is offensively. I think they're okay, but I don't think they're amazing. I think he's okay, but I think there is also a chance that Ryan Jeffers might be overdrafted next season because of how strong he was this year. And granted, it was an excellent half, just over half a season, 96 games. It was really, really strong. But I think that there is a good chance that people try and prorate that over a whole year and don't look to regress the batting average. And I think we might be getting into some trouble here. I think you're probably looking at 110, maybe 120 games. And we should probably think that that's about a best case scenario and maybe a 240, 250 batting average if we get that we should probably consider ourselves lucky uh, with Ryan Jeffers. Let's move on to number 19, and that was Tyler Stevenson, who was, I'm sorry, Tyler, if you're listening, a huge pain in the ass this season. As much as I loved you, as much as I believed in you, it was myself and Paul Spohr. We were both really stupidly high on Tyler Stevenson. I had him ranked as like my fifth or sixth catcher. I think Paul was in the same kind of vein. I thought he would be able to hit close to 300, hit 20 home runs, Probably drive in 80, have 80 runs scored, chip in a couple of steals, and boy, he did not do any of that. He played 142 games, which is excellent. 92 games behind the dish, 43 at DH, and he even had eight games at first base. Depending on your format, those eight at first base may or may not grant you the eligibility for next season. Regardless, 13 homers, 59 runs, 56 RBIs, and a 243 batting average. That was the kicker batting average is something that had always been really good in the sample sizes we'd seen it was eight games in 2020 you can't really do much from that but he batted 294 2021 it was 132 games he batted 286 2022 only 50 games because he got hurt but he was batting 319 and then he goes to 243 now he'd always run reasonably high bababs 500 over that eight game stretch in 2020 you can kind of just throw that away 2021 it was a 333 Babip, which you know is a little high, sure, but it's not crazy high. It's, it's, it's a little bit higher than what you would probably hope for. But a two hundred eighty six batting average, okay, you'll take it. His Babbitt his was within 20 points of that at three fourteen, but the batting average fell 40 points compared to 2021, which was the last full season we had from him. Never mind the three nineteen we saw from him in 50 games last year. So I don't really know what to expect from Tyler Stevenson. I, I, I expected more across the board. I thought we'd have more power. I thought there would be more counting stats, although they weren't terrible. 59 runs and 56 RPI is not really what I was hoping for. I was thinking both could be pushed up by 15 to 20 more easily. We did not see that. We saw kind of mediocrity. He was getting dropped in a lot of 10 and 12 team leagues. Like I said, I dropped him at a certain point. I forget when it was now. It was probably July or so. I can't even the whole season's a blur at this point. But I dropped him for Kiber Ruiz and I didn't look back because Ruiz was so much better, and it's not something I was expecting at all, but I think my expectations and everybody's, and Paul will probably tell you the same thing, kind of have to be regressed for Stevenson at this point. You know, if he plays another 142 games next year, it's not a hell of a lot that I'm looking at to expect that he would get that much better. I think that this is probably about who he is, and maybe we overshot our expectations for him. I think the batting average goes back up a little bit. 243 is probably not what I would expect from him long-term. I would, I would definitely think that you could see better than that but he was never somebody across the minor leagues who had like stupid high batting averages to the point where you're like oh he must be a 300 hitter in the pros because he was a 400 hitter in the minors. He wasn't. He really wasn't. If you're looking at, you know, his biggest stretches in the minor leagues, 2017 in Low A ball he batted 280, 2018 in High A he batted 250, and then 2019 in Double A he batted 285. He was never like a crazy crazy high batting average guy. So maybe maybe we were just kind of wrong and maybe he got lucky for a couple seasons in terms of running those high Babibs, and this is more of a who-he-is kind of guy. 250, 260 might be what we have to expect going forward. Now, he does benefit from a great team and a great ballpark around him, but, you know, there comes a point where it doesn't really matter to me so much if he's going to be pushed down the order a lot, and that's what was happening later on in the year because, you know, the place where he batted most in the order was fourth, but that was a lot earlier in the season. You also saw him, I mean, we saw him at every spot in the order except for leading off. Uh, only once batting second and once third. But we saw him getting pushed down a lot in the order come later in the season. So is Tyler Stevenson somebody that I'm going to be rushing to draft next season? In a one-catcher format, I don't think he even gets drafted. I think you push him completely out of that ADP of one-catcher leagues. He was going 161 this year. If you want to take a chance, and you know we've talked about the punt-catcher strategy, take one with your last pick, and you want to take him, you could probably do worse, considering, like I said, the team and the ballpark factors are really good. But Tyler Stevenson, I think, is just not as quite, uh, not quite as good as what we might have thought he was coming into the year, coming into the last couple of seasons. I think he's okay, but I think he is definitely more suited to those two catcher kind of leagues. Let's talk about number 20, and then we will wrap it up. I think I will do one more catcher show, Um, I'll do one on Monday just to kind of wrap up the loose ends and talk about some of the guys that were not in the top 20, guys that I expect to make that jump. Gabriel Moreno, Bo Naylor, we'll talk about some of those guys just as a wrap-up, but we will just conclude here with the top 20, and that is Shea Langoliers. Shea Langoliers is number 20, and he had a pretty okay season. I mean, considering the team around him, you can't really hope for that much. played 135 games. He played 123 of them behind the dish. He got into eight as a DH as well. 22 homers, 52 runs scored, 63 RBIs, and he stole three bases. I mean, again, he's another guy that I'm not going to really have much interest in as long as he's in that ballpark with those massive, massive, massive boundaries with that terrible team around him in Oakland or wherever they end up going. I just can't see myself having that much interest in a guy who you know, respectfully it has a very kind of findable profile on the waiver wire for catchers, that 20 home run, 200 to 220 kind of guy, uh, you know, they're kind of a dime a dozen in terms of the catcher, the, you know, the Zanino build, the Mike Zanino type of catcher, you can find them all over the place. So he's not somebody that I'm really going to be pushing up, but if you are looking for a little bit of power, come later in your draft, I could see myself having some interest in a two catcher format. He did lower the strikeout rate from what we saw in his initial hit into the bigs because he did play twenty oh, Excuse me forty games last season, thirty five percent K rate. not great, but he got it down to twenty nine this year, which is still not great, but it's a lot better. Take five percent off. His walk rate went from six percent to seven percent. You'll take that incremental change. You know, John Legeza made the point to me a while back. John Legeza, if you guys know MLB moving averages uh, over on Twitter. I think that might not even be his handle anymore, but I think you guys know, uh, know John. He's a writer for The Athletic, and he pointed out that you know one 2% walk rate difference or strikeout rate difference is literally, we've, we lose sight of this, the difference of one strikeout over 100 batters. Is it really that much of a difference, one strikeout or one walk? Eh, it's probably not that big of a deal. That being said, you still like to see change going in the right direction. Walk rate going up, strikeout rate going down equals happy everybody. That's what you like to see. I can't see myself getting that excited again about this guy because the team around him is just awful and there's no way they're getting better next year. They're not spending a dime. They're not spending any money. You heard Trevor May. We talked about on the show, tell the owner to sell the team, tell it to somebody who actually gives a shit and wants to put a good product on the field because this guy clearly doesn't, he doesn't care. And until somebody does in Oakland, it's going to be hard to really draft any athletics players at any kind of high price, they're going to be going probably later in drafts, and they probably should. Uh, and they, they probably should be getting pushed down the draft board. There's just no real reason to have that much interest in Langoliers or anybody. And it's not just to pick on Langoliers, but you know with the low batting average, the fact that the counting stats aren't going to be there. Home runs are pretty good, but those 22 home runs, I'm not looking at the stat cast expected home run numbers. But if he was in a different ballpark, you're probably looking at 25 or 26 for the whole season. I know only half your games are at home, but... He's probably losing a bit of power, and he's definitely losing a bit of production in terms of the counting stats based on the crappy quality of the team around him. So it's going to be a no for me on Langoliers in terms of one-catcher leagues. Uh, I do not believe that he was drafted in a lot of Yahoo leagues. He does not actually register as an ADP. Oh, excuse me, he does. 241. Uh, He is one of the last catchers here who has an ADP. Good for him, uh, but I don't see there being much need to take him uh, outside of, you know, in that kind of situation. Your last overall pick, maybe you take Langoliers. He had a fine season, but not somebody that I'm going to be that interested in at all. Okay, the guys, that'll do it for today and for the week. I appreciate everybody coming in and hanging out. This is the most fun that we're going to have probably in the offseason. Well, for me anyway, Yeah. well, there's a lot of fun parts of the offseason, I guess. I guess until 2024 kicks off, this will be the most fun. That's That'll be the way I put it because... We're gonna spend quite a bit of time going over these positions. Gonna do uh, a lot of guests. I'm gonna try and bring over some guests to talk about these positions as well. As well, it won't be just me. We'll bring on some fun people who will uh, break it down with me. But until 2024 really starts, there's not like so much fun we can really have. Once we start getting into projections and drafts, mock drafts and rankings and all that, that's when we'll have uh, a lot of fun. But like I said, uh, we'll be back on Monday. We'll talk about some of those catchers who were just outside of the top 20. Maybe some guys who weren't even just outside, guys who just missed the mark, but guys that I think are interesting. Maybe we'll have some interest uh, next season as well. But until then, guys, you can reach me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99, at EthosFantasyBB as well. And, of course, go check out SportsEthos.com, the website, and our YouTube channel. A lot of fun going on all over the place. Just search SportsEthos in the old Google bar, and you will find us uh, all over the place. But until Monday, guys, take care. Have a great weekend, and cheers.